Well, good morning, Bell Shoals. My name is Ben Skog. I'm one of the newer pastors on staff. I'm the pastor of care and missions here at the Brandon campus. And it is a delight to be with you this morning to open up the word of God. Uh, we have already had a fantastic morning of worship, have we not? Being able to sing praise and honor to the one who is worthy. Uh, and that worship continues through the preaching of the word of God. And uh, the word of God says this, it gives us a promise. And it says in Isaiah 55, 9 and 10, it says every time that the word of God is declared, in other words, rightly divided, rightly understood and rightly interpreted, it says the will of God comes about. So before we open up this service uh, or before we open up the word of God and preach it, we need to stop and ask the Lord for two things. One, that he would be with me to help me to rightly divide the word of God. And two, so that as the word of God is rightly divided, that we believe the word of God and believe that God is going to use his preached word to work it into our lives in ways that we don't even know yet. Can we do that? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of compassion. We thank you that you are the only one who saves. You were the one who has demonstrated your love for us by sending your son to die for us. And Lord, we praise you for that. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would help me to rightly divide, rightly proclaim your word with love, with compassion, with boldness in truth. And Lord, we also ask that your Holy Spirit would take that preached word and open our spiritually blind eyes and spiritually deaf ears. And Lord, may your word work in our lives in situations that we don't even know or aren't even thinking of. And Lord, we promise that as your will comes to pass in our lives, as you grow us and stretch us and make us more in the image of Jesus Christ, we will never rob you of your glory. We will give you all the praise, all of the glory, all of the worship, because you alone are worthy. And we ask this in the name of the one who transforms us, in the name of Christ we pray, amen. Please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, this morning we're going to be looking at the first 20 verses. Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. And as you're turning there, also note that, that this same story that we're going to be walking through is in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So there will be times where I'm alluding not just to the Mark passage, but to some of the details given to us in either Matthew or Luke. But before we get there, I want to introduce you to someone through some mental snapshots this morning. I want to introduce to you a, a person whose name is Lois. She is a, 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 a lady now, but she was a child at this point where our first mental snapshot takes place. You see, she was born in the state of Montana in the 1950s to two Native American parents. And it was determined by the state of Montana that they, they came in and determined in this home that this home was not suitable for the children. And so the state of Montana came and removed all 11 children from their parents. Snapshot number one. Mental snapshot number two. 
The oldest child of, of, of the 11 kids was over the age of 16, which meant in the 1950s there was no orphanage that would take her. And so the, the, uh, her home for the next two years until she became 18 and, and declared an adult was that every single day she would go to school, go to work, and then her home for the next two years was actually the county jail. She was free to come and go, but that was the place, the only place that would house her. As for Lois and the other nine siblings, they were placed into a Catholic orphanage. Upon arrival, the orphanage immediately cut off all their hair, which, if you know much about a Native American culture, is a great insult. They forbid them to speak their native language, and, and since Lois is a Chippewa Indian, her native language was called Ojibwe. And for various reasons, I don't think very many of them legitimate, these kids were beaten pretty bad. Mental snapshot number two. Mental snapshot number three. Two and a half years after being in this orphanage, a family adopted Lois, a white family. And upon the adoption, they, they moved her from Idaho, or sorry, from Montana to the state of Idaho. And being in a Native American in the state of Idaho in the 1950s was no picnic. You see, there were still signs in front of a lot of the businesses, grocery stores, other things that said no breeds allowed in reference to Native Americans. And so this adopted family would go to the grocery store and they would put Lois right here on a bench where the breeds sat. And the rest of the family would go in and shop. And Lois's told stories about adults, <laughs> adults, not just kids. Sometimes we know how, how mean kids can be, but adults, people who should know better, would get right into her face and they would sing one little, two little, three little Indians merely just to make her feel less than human. Mental snapshot number three. Mental snapshot number four. Let's fast forward several years to where Lois is 18 and, and she marries her high school sweetheart and, and they have their first son and, and things might be looking up a little bit except that, that when they become pregnant with their second son, the, 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 the father just abandons her, abandons her with these two boys. And so here she is by the age of 21, she has been taken away from her family, placed in an orphanage, had her hair cut, beaten. For much of her life has been teased as someone less than human and now she's 21 no husband two children and I'm sure if we add up those mental snapshots we can probably guess as to what question she's asking God God where are you in my life God if you love me where are you if you love me it seems like nothing is going well in my life have you left me? Have you forsaken me? Do you care about me? Friends, this morning, some of you might have come into this place with those very same questions. There might be things going on in your life. Maybe you just got a notice from the doctor with news that you never wanted to hear. Maybe there are things going on in your family, with your kids, with your parents. Maybe there are things going on in your marriage, and you're saying, God, where are you? I am your child. And I thought that you loved me. If you loved me, why would you let me go through what I'm going through? 
Friends, if you're asking that question, then this passage is a passage for you because we are introduced to a man here whose name we don't even know. I'm sure he has a name, I just don't know it. I'm sure this man that we're introduced to in these first five verses, I'm sure he has a family. I'm sure that there is a group of people somewhere saying, where's Bobbert? Have you heard from him? And I'm sure he has a family, and that family somewhere is having to say, you know, I haven't seen him in years, but I've heard stories, and the stories are out there. I'm sure he has a family, but we don't know him. I'm sure he had a purpose. I'm sure he had a job. I'm sure that he might even have had a family and children that he had to care for and protect. But all of that is forgotten. And friends, here's the thing. Just because it's not mentioned in these five verses, we should not see him as a demon-possessed thing who is less than human. This is a human being made in the image of God. And if we forget to humanize him, we will see him just as a thing instead of a him. But we should be asking the same questions that Lois was asking in her life. Where are you, God? Because here's the first thing that we understand about this man. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says that he was possessed by demons. Possessed by demons. Now here's the thing. In order to understand demons, you have to understand a little bit about angels, right? In the beginning, right? As God created, he creates all things. And he creates legions and legions and myriads and myriads of angels. And the word of God tells us that the purpose and function of angels is twofold. One, to serve God, to worship God. And two, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says this, that are they, meaning angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That word render service is the same word that you and I get the word to deacon. They are to so serve believers that it is as though they are carrying out a serving ministry to them. Except we also remember that there was a, there was a rebellion, wasn't there? Somewhere between Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, remember that's the end of the creation account and that's the end where God looks at all of his creation he says everything is good, very good. In other words, it's not just pleasing to his eyes, but everything is perfect and in order. At that point there is no rebellion, either in earth or in the heavens above. But somewhere between Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis 3 chapter 1, when the serpent enters the garden and the, Satan enters the, 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 the garden of Eden in the form of a serpent, somewhere between Genesis 2, 4 and 3, 1, there is a cosmic rebellion in which Satan leads around a third of the angels into rebellion so that they no longer serve God, but rather... Their goal now is to harm humanity with the singular purpose to get them to curse God. That's what he does with Job in Job chapter 1 verse 2. And it's his function from here on out. And that seems to be the function of all demons. To not only not serve God, but to harm human beings, harm their property so that with the result that they curse God to his face. This man is demon possessed. Not just one demon or two demons, but when we find out, when we read in verse 9, it tells us how many. Not the exact number, but an idea. Jesus says, what is your name? And the leading demon says this, my name is Legion, for we are many. You see, at Rome in this time, 
A legion was a number of an army. It was between 5,200 and 6,000 soldiers. Let that sink in for a moment. I'm not saying that there are 6,000 demons possessing him, but there very well could be. We know that at least 2,000 pigs will die at the end of this passage. So what we can understand is this. It's not one demon. It's not two. It's not 12. It's not a baker's dozen. This is an entire demonic army possessing this single human being to the point now that the word of God says this man who is filled with so many demons, he used to live in the city, but he no longer does. The word of God says that while he was in that city, he was under guard night and day, and they would shackle his arms and shackle his legs. But now he has so many demons and their power is coursing through him that he has shattered those fetters, shattered those bondage into pieces. And that no one can control him. No one can contain him. And it says his home is now no longer in the city, but also it's out into the tombs in the realm of the dead. And there, the word of God says that he's naked. Now, Luke gives us a little detail. He says he hasn't worn a stitch of clothing in a long time. But it's hard to see. You know why? Because the word of God also says this. And while he is out there day and night, he is taking stones and he is cutting himself, trying to not only mar himself, and I'm sure to feel something, but probably trying to end his own life because these demons are so possessing and they control his every thought, his every movement. And it also says in verse 5 that every single day, day and night, they keep him awake and he is screaming at the top of his lungs. The word there is actually the word to croak. In other words, he has screamed so much his voice is shot. It is completely hoarse and his screaming day and night sounds like croaking. Add those up for a moment and ask yourself the question, where is God in his life? Has this man been forsaken by God? was this man who is possessed by so many demons, it's described as a legion, an army of demons possessing his every move. Where is God? Has he left him? Has he forsaken him? Has he abandoned him? Because surely God, if you love this man, you would not allow this to happen to him. That should be the question we're asking. And here's a quick answer. <laughs> this passage is preceded in all three accounts, in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. It is preceded by the passage in which Jesus is up in Capernaum, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, in the midst of his ministry, he says one thing. And if we're not careful, we can read this statement as a throwaway statement. The word of God says this in Mark chapter four, verse 35, Jesus turns and tells his disciples, let us go to the other side. This is not Jesus tired. This is not Jesus saying, oh, I hate people. I need to break. This is Jesus in his divine nature revealing to us that this man, far from being forgotten, is moments away from having a divine encounter. A divine encounter that was written before the foundations of the world. You see, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan that God the Father would give this man's name, a name that we don't even know. And he would hand it to the son and the son would say as the good shepherd, this is my sheep. And at the right time, at the appointed time, 
Not just the right year, not just the right month, but the right day, the right second, the right millisecond. Jesus, as the good shepherd, will come, defeat the army of darkness, and rescue this man. Because this man's name has been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. You ask, where has God been? He's been there the whole time. He's been there the whole time. Romans 8, 28 says this. For God, doesn't say allows, causes. For God causes all things to happen for his ultimate glory and our ultimate good. Which means every single moment of our life, every hilltop and every single valley, every scar that we bear emotionally, spiritually, and physically, every single scar is a part of the testimony in our lives. And God has not only not forsaken us, not abandoned us, he's been the one who has designed this valley and held our hands, held us fast, and he has never, ever, ever, ever let us go. Because he has a purpose. But first, first, let's see it from the passage itself. Jesus is now on a rescue mission that was written down before the foundations of the world. This is the very plan of God in this man's life, though he does not know it. The confrontation begins in verses 6 through 13. The word of God says this, that immediately upon Jesus' feet uh, arriving on the shore, this man who is filled with so many demons, you can call it an entire army of demonic forces, sees Jesus from a distance and immediately he runs. And here we're about to see the very first two points of our confrontation. One, notice that what the demons are calling him by a title. They immediately, it says, bow low and they call him this. Jesus, you are the son of God most high. This is, the, this is the word that you see uh, in Genesis 14. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. This is El Elyon. This is God Most High. And you normally see it followed by this word. God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. The one who is in control, in sovereign control with all divine power, who is in control of every molecule in this creation. Not one molecule can be a renegade against God outside of his plan. The Psalms praise God most high for being sovereign. We praise you because you possess the heavens and the earth. We praise you because you are in control of all things. You are in control of the hills and the valleys. And for it you are to be praised. And by the way, friends, in the valley you want a sovereign God to pray to, not an inept God that can't do anything to you and with you and for you in the valley. His sovereignty is good. But notice also by their function, it says they bow low to him. It's the same word that means worship, but I'm not sure that demons can rightly worship God truly. And so what I think it means is they are recognizing their very creator and they are bowing low in subjection to him. You see, these angels have been summoned before God, their creator, before in Job 1 and in Job 2. They have all had to stand before their God. And on one hand, we can say, Trinitarianly speaking, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as a triune God, created. But the Word of God also tells us the roles within the Trinity by which creation is carried out. That God the Father planned creation. And guess who carried out physical creation? 
God the Son. In fact, the Word of God says this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. The Word of God says this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, meaning Christ, Christ in his divine nature, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, ruler and authorities, all things have been created through him and they are for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 say the exact same thing. There the word of God says this, God, after long ago he spoke in many ways, in former ways. And it says, can you scroll that up, please? Thank you. He says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the exact radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. So in other words, Christ in his divine nature is not merely the creator. He is the sustainer of all creation. He does not create and take his hands off. He is actively sustaining every aspect inside of creation, including you and I right now, including the demons who are recognizing him not only as the one who is sovereign over all creation, but he's a sovereign over creation because he's the creator over all creation. And finally, this confrontation reveals that Jesus Christ is the final judge. He is the final judge. The word of God shows us this through their words. They say upon seeing Jesus, they say, what business do you and I have, Jesus, son of God most high? And by that, here's what they mean. They know that Jesus in his divine nature will be their final judge. They know without question that he is the one who will cast them into the lake of fire and pour out divine wrath for eternity. They know that without question. But they also know that it's not yet. They do not know the day or the hour. They just know it's not yet. And so they say this, they say, Jesus, we implore you, do not throw us into the abyss. The abyss is that bottomless pit where God has thrown some of the demonic forces until the final judgment. Please do not send us there. Rather, here's where they ask one of the strangest things in all the New Testament. There's a herd of swine over there. Send us into them. Now, before we make a mistake, do not think for one second, well, these pigs are just inherently evil and unclean, therefore they deserve to die. No. Remember that pigs are a part of God's original creation. They were a part of the animal kingdom in Genesis chapter 1, that upon looking upon them, upon dogs, upon cats, upon, well, I don't know about cats, but upon pigs and other animals, he says of them, they are good, very good. They are not inherently evil. They're fallen because Adam fell. The word of God says when Adam fell, all the things that he had dominion over, meaning the ground and the animals, they fell because he fell. Furthermore, don't forget this, that this is God the Son, and in his divine nature, he created all things, including the pigs. And if the word of God says that he takes joy over the sparrow, then I promise you he takes joy over the pigs.
But here's the thing. This passage is about who Christ is. And this passage shows us his power. And it shows us that with one word, with one word, our God the Son, who is the creator, the sovereign sustainer, the sovereign ruler over all things, with a word is the one who vanquishes an entire army of demonic forces. Why does he do that? What is the reason? It's so that you and I can trust him. It's so that the very one who is holding us and walking us through the very valleys that you're going through right now, the valleys you've been through and the valleys you will walk through in the future so that you can trust him. So that you never ask the question, even though I've done it. And so have you. God, where are you? Have you left me? Have you forsaken me? And the answer that Christ is saying back to you is no, never may it never be. He didn't forsake Lois. We left her when she was 21. We come back now to the rest of her story. You see, two years later, she married a man named Joe Skog. Joe Skog was married before, and his wife abandoned him with three kids. Together, they came together to form a family. And you see, Joe Skog's dad was a former Baptist pastor, and so Joe Skog had a habit that he would take this newly formed family and he would bring them to a church that believed in the Word of God, that believed in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. And every single week, all five of these children heard the gospel over and over and over and over again to the point where four of those children, myself included, because Lois was my mom, accepted Jesus Christ. And you know how that happens? Because God had a plan and it includes all the scars. And it's only when you can look back at everything that he has taken you through and you can actually say, now that I'm through it, God, even though I didn't see it then, God, you are good. You are good. And what I questioned in that moment and what y'all questioned in that moment, God, I can now praise you for. Can you praise him for the valleys? Can you praise him for the scars? Because here's the thing. He takes us through those things. Remember Romans 8, 28. He causes all things to happen for his ultimate good and our, his ultimate glory and our ultimate good. And here's why. Because the very scars we have become a part of our testimony of his grace. Look with me at the last part of this passage. The last few verses, verses 14 through 20, the word of God says a great report goes out. In other words, the very herdsman the herdsmen who were watching all this happen. They, they, they were watching over the pigs. They were definitely watching over this man who had an army of demons inside of him. They saw the whole thing. They saw the demons run over to Jesus. And from their perspective, they're probably thinking, dude, you are done. But with a word, with a word, he vanquishes that entire demonic army. Sends them into the pigs. The pigs go into the water. The pigs die. Which, by the way, is a shame. I'm a barbecue man, and all I can think of is, that's a lot of ribs, right? That's a lot of ribs gone to waste. But God has a bigger purpose. They go out to the countrysides, and they tell the story. 
They tell the story of a man so powerful that with a word he vanquishes an entire demonic army. They tell of a story of the man who had so many demons inside of him that no one could hold him, no one could control him, no one could bind him. No one was strong enough except this one man with a word not only, not only cast the demons out, but they've transformed this man. The word of God is not clear about it, but I think it's clear from the context that this man is now a transformed believer in Jesus Christ, that he has been taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by Christ. And he is forevermore transformed. Why? Because of what they see. They see Christ, right? The word goes out. Then the hillside, the country, the people from the cities, they come and they come. They want to put eyes to what they've heard reports of and they see two things. One, they see Jesus. These crowds see Jesus, the one so powerful that he defeats an entire demonic army with a word. And then they see this man. Mark says, fully clothed. That's always a good sign. Clothed in his right mind. Luke adds, seated at the feet of Jesus Christ. And upon seeing that, do you know what their response is? It's one of the saddest responses to the work of Christ you will ever see in your life. It is very clear. They say, would you get away from us, Lord? You see, here's what they see. They see a man so powerful that he can vanquish an entire demonic army, but they don't know who else Christ is. They see him as the God who is all power, all might. They don't know him as Savior. They don't know him as Lord. They don't know him as Redeemer. They don't know him as the one who is closer than a brother. They don't know that part of him. They only know the part of power. And they're saying, we have to fear this power. Therefore, they say, would you get away from us? A great fear of unbelief. To the man who was possessed. Notice that that's how it says, to the man who was possessed who is now seated at the feet of Jesus, who is now in his right mind. Here you see the seeds of great faith. He looks to Jesus and he doesn't ask for another miracle. He doesn't say, feed me the manna. He doesn't say, here's what he says. He gives a request. He says, Lord Jesus, can I come with you? Meaning, after all, you have transformed me. You have saved me. You have delivered me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've changed my everything. You are my Lord, you are my creator, and you are my savior. Can I come with you? And here's what we expect. We expect Jesus to say this. Well, you know what? In a few months, there's going to be a guy named Judas who, 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 who betrays me, and there's going to be a seat on the bus open for a disciple. Why don't you come with us and try out for the team a little bit early? We expect Jesus to say, yes, come into our boat. Join our band of merry men. Become one of my disciples. Except that's not what he says. He says no. He says no, and here's the thing. If you're a cynical person this morning, you're saying, aha, I knew this. I knew Jesus didn't love him. If he loved him, he would have said, yes, come with me. I change you and transform you so that you can be right here by my side. He asked. God's son said no. Friends, do you know that there's going to be times in your life where we offer prayers to God and we say, God, can you? We say, God, will you? 
And there's going to be times when God says what? No. But if we have the right eyes, not the eyes of the flesh, but the eyes of faith, and we look back at all those times which God has said no, do you know what? It's because he had a greater plan. His no's are because he has something greater for us in the future. If we can but hold on with faith, if we can hold on with faith, we will see how he will have a greater plan and how it unfolds. And here we see it in this formerly demon-possessed man right away. Jesus says, no, you cannot. But here's what you can do. Scratch. Here's what you will do. Now that I've saved you, now that I've transformed you, I'm going to send you out as the very first missionary to Gentiles that Jesus Christ sends out. He says to this man who's transformed from what? From being demon-possessed. Do you know that this man's testimony would not be nearly effective if he wasn't demon-possessed by an army of demons? But God took him through that exact valley. Why? So that Jesus can say, you will go into your hometown, that town that the passage doesn't even name. He's from Decapolis, which means 10 cities. You're going to go to the family that this passage doesn't even speak of. And he says, you are going to be a herald of my grace. You are to tell everyone who listens the amount of grace that God had upon you on this very day in the midst of your valley when you were probably saying, God, where are you? That very question, where are you? It becomes the very core of your testimony. Friends, do you know this? God will not waste one single scar in your life. Not one will be wasted. Not one. Not one physical scar, not one emotional scar, not one spiritual scar will be wasted in your life. Every hill and every valley is in the sovereign hands of the God who loves you. A God who has loved you before the foundation of the world. A God whose love is infinite and unchanging. Do you know what that means? It means that a God whose love is infinite, there is no limit to it. There is no measure it to it. His love is also unchanging, which means before the foundation of the world, he loved you so much that it's not possible for him to love you anymore, and he certainly will not love you any less. He formed you, he fashioned you, and he has directed all of your steps, and every hilltop he's been there, every valley, he's held you fast, you just didn't know it. All so that if we're faithful to the mission he sends us on, Every scar we have, physical, spiritual, emotional, becomes part of the testimony of God's grace. Can you believe that this morning? Because of who he is. He's our creator. He's a sovereign God. He's the God who has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's the God who said, I, I will rescue every single one of my sheep. He's not against you. He's so for you that he couldn't be more for you. In the valleys, can we trust this Christ? And in the rear view mirror, can we praise him for those valleys? Praise him for the state that takes the family out from the parents' hands. Praise him 
for the orphanage. Praise him even for the verbal jabs by adults who shouldn't know better. Praise him, and again, I don't get this. Praise him for a husband who abandons because he has a plan that I can't explain. We just have to trust the God who is and who loves you and who has you in the very palm of his hand that his tomorrow is better than anything we could ever imagine. He is.